Welcome to the Humble Hoof Podcast. My name is Alicia Harlov. This is a podcast for both horse owners and hoof care professionals, offering discussions into various philosophies on the health of the hoof and soundness of your horse. Please check us out on Facebook or at thehumblehoof.com. I think a lot of care providers listening can think about cases that were particularly memorable throughout their time practicing hoof care. There are ones that were maybe really difficult or ones that turned out better than we expected. And we were able to see an amazing outcome on a really hard case. I reached out to Christina Brogdon and Jody Jensen, both of whom have seen their fair share of rehab cases, and we discuss some of our favorite cases as well as some of our most difficult ones. So yeah, thank you both so much for being willing to do this. This is really helpful just to be able to have people that are willing to like hop on and chat with me about various topics. So I know that both of you are both very busy. So (laughs) we'll try to get through these questions and not mess up your afternoons and evenings. But uh, why don't we start with some introductions? So, you know, Christina, your name is first on my screen. So if you want to start and just say what area you work in and kind of what the focus is of your hoof care practice. Okay. So I work in Keller, Texas. Well, that's where I'm out of. It's north of Fort Worth. And I kind of cover this area, like the DFW Metroplex. And then I go into East Texas a little bit too. And I went through Ida's Hammers program in 2016, and then I'm working through PHCP right now. So I should have that done this year. That's great. And and so do you have like a certain focus in your practice? Like, are you doing a lot of composite work or mostly barefoot or anything like that? I do mostly barefoot. I do a handful of composites, but if it's for people that are far away, that's kind of hard to get back out there when they're, you know, three hours away from me. So I, I don't do a whole lot of that. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. All right. And Jody, I'm Jody Jensen and I am servicing Southwestern Washington, some Western Washington up towards Kitsap County. And I do a lot of barefoot and I'm getting a fair number of corrective composite type cases. And that's actually, I'm not taking any new, just standard barefoot clients anymore. I'm just doing new cases are, are only the tough ones that often are working with a vet. Yeah, I know. And it's so hard to say no to those cases when you're like, oh, I just feel like this is such a, you know, a horse that needs help. And yeah. (laughs) So sometimes even when you're booked, it's like, you can't say no. (laughs) No. All right. So obviously both of you know, you know, the focus of our conversation today is sort of like interesting cases to work on and and maybe some examples of ones that we've worked through in our career so far. And just because honestly, I like hearing about these cases. It's always really good to hear what other people have done and been successful with. And I think it's just really, it's it's fun to kind of talk about some some crazy hoof stuff we've come across. So I guess kind of to set the set the scene, you know, I would love to hear from you both what your favorite kind of cases to work on are in general. You know, is it laminitis? Is it navicular? Is it like a crazy other option? You know, what what kind of cases do you like working on? And feel free, whoever wants to go, you can just start. Okay. Um, I like the ones where it's been, you know, more lack of farrier disease because, you know, they're going to come out hypothetically good at the end of it, hypothetically. Right. And the owners that have taken them over tend to be better about following directions than the former owners that they rescued them from. Yeah. 
I actually started into hoof care because of my horse that foundered two weeks after I bought him. And that sent me down the journey of metabolic disorders and hoof care. And so that they're my favorite. And I love turning those horses around. And I have pretty strong requirements about owners complying with diet and exercise and diagnosis parts of the program. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of going to make or break the cases, you know, for the success rate in those cases, for sure. And I know I'm not the one being interviewed, but, you know, I think both of you might know this, but I really enjoy working on navicular cases. Um, And the funny part about that is, is I find them to be some of the most difficult sometimes because there's so much that can fall under a navicular diagnosis and, you know, kind of parsing out what actually is causing the pain can be tricky. But like you, Jody, coming to hoof care with a laminitis case, like I came to hoof care with a navicular case and just seeing those horses become sounder is such a joy to me. So that's kind of, you know, my, my favorite, I get a little excited when someone contacts me and they're like, I have a navicular diagnosed horse. And I'm like, oh, yay. (laughs) Um, Uh, Yeah, I agree. I've gotten into more navicular now too. actually, you know, Having, having gone to that with another of our personal horses, you know, yeah. that that's become another interesting thing. I just like the tough cases. I like to troubleshoot and figure out, you know, what, what makes them move better and, and how I can help improve the horse's life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I came into hoof care with a canker case, but I don't want to see more of those. So oh, <laughs> no. plenty. Yeah, I've only worked on one canker case and it was the smelliest and bloodiest thing I have ever uh-huh. worked on. Uh-huh. I'm thankful I'm thankful I haven't seen one. Yeah. And and yeah. I still work on the horse and he's doing great, but it's one of those things where every week or every cycle I show up and I'm like, "Please just don't have another spot of canker. <laughs> like please just stay in remission." Yeah. Yeah, mine has been in remission off and on, but, you know, she has flare-ups too. And it's like, okay, time to deal with this all over again. I know, so. right. Yeah, I know. It's it's one of those things where I, I've only had this one case, and the vet has been great. The vet has come out and done debridements and, and helped me with cleaning it up and keeping it in, in line. But it's something that I feel like doesn't ever 100% you can never 100% feel confident that it's never going to come back, at least in the case that I wow. work on. So. That's the same with mine. Awesome. Well, I figure I, I, we almost kind of jumped a little bit into the next question, but I would love to dive right in and talk about some interesting cases that we've worked on. And I'm sure that we've all kind of seen different things. We're all in different parts of the country. But yeah, I mean, if Christina, you want to start and if you want to talk about a case and a, a little bit about what the diagnosis was, the treatment, and, and how it turned out, that'd be great. Okay, so the one I'm going to talk about is a shivers horse, actually. And I went into it, you know, not knowing a whole lot and thinking, oh, yeah, you know, I'll be able to pick up his back foot, you know, <laughs> not realizing exactly how hard that is. Um, he had actually moved down here from Washington, and one of my other clients had gotten me this client that was at her barn. And so we went out there and I tried to lift up that foot and couldn't get it. She's like, Oh, the other farrier, he just, you know, kind of scoops it. So she moved him forward and we tried to scoop it and it didn't work obviously. And then we got him forward on like a board and got a kind of trim done. 
And I uh, called Paige after that. I was like, okay, I've got this horse. And she had seen a lot of Shivers horses in Virginia. So she helped me with that. So we finally gotten him to where he would go forward on a stand and I could trim him from the top. And then this last time we did some stretches that Deb Davies had showed me with this OS and we were able to get him to set his foot down after the trim instead of flinging it and moving quickly out of the way. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. So what kind of stretches, I mean, I, I, it's probably hard without a visual to kind of explain it, but what kind of stretches do you do? Cause I have some string halt and shivers cases that are so difficult with their hind end. So what she does is she has two people stand on either side of their hips and push backwards on their ilium towards their rear end. And you try and hold that for three minutes if you can. Wow. And that stretches their psoases out. So we did that and she's going to work on that more over the next four weeks and see if we can't get him even better than that. And is that horse retired? He is for the moment. I don't know if she plans on riding him anymore. She's getting married and stuff too. So, you know, it'll be a while if he goes back to work at all. But he's moving comfortably and everything. That's good. Yeah. Is it mostly affecting lifting the hinds and not necessarily in movement? Yeah, his is mainly just lifting his hind legs. He looks like he walks sound puts all four feet down normal and everything else. So his is just the lifting and then the going backwards Yeah, with his and then the flinging. Right. Yeah. I have one that you pick up one hind and it's almost like, like he will just fall over, you know, standing on the other hind. And it's just a very neurological reaction with him almost. And it's hard because I, I, I don't know if you heard the conversation with Dr. Audrey DeClue about string halt yes. shivers horses and you know, she sees a lot of them as injuries. And the one or two cases that I work on now are very like neurological presenting, you know, but, but it's hard because we don't have, you know, the same kind of the the kind of practitioners, or the the people that have worked extensively on the body work side of things and, and done that sort of rehab with the soft tissue to really test to see if it's actually neurological. Right. But yeah, it's so cool to hear about people that are successful with that because it's such a difficult thing because there's so many questions still revolving around that kind of diagnosis. Yeah, and she had talked about working with someone from her work. She's a x-ray tech or something with x-rays. So she'd had somebody there that was kind of interested in doing what Dr. DeClue had talked about, the, uh, the procedure that she does, but we didn't go any further than that yeah. other than discussing it for him. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that he's doing well. So that's good. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> All right. Makes things much less stressful. Right. Yeah, exactly. And safer <laughs> for you, I'm sure. Like Exactly. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, to grab the stand and move real fast is, is not fun. Right. <laughs> I know. Sometimes yeah. I'm trimming a horse and I feel like when I'm holding up a hind leg, I'm on borrowed time. Like you're just trying to get as much done as possible before that leg gets slammed down. And it's, it's, da- it can be dangerous. Yeah. So, uh, figuring out ways to get them really comfortable and able to actually get a good trim and not just a, I have to get this done trim. I mean, there's a difference between the two of those. So that's, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Jody. Yeah. Um, oh gosh, I've had a couple of really fascinating cases. The one mo- most recent one that I've done, actually it's over time, but I have two little mini donkeys that I went into to see and really, really bad white line disease, laminitis. And this was before I got as strict as I am now about taking new clients with owners that cooperate. 
So no, no major changes were made. They were out on a pretty big pasture, like a half acre, three quarters acre pasture for the little donkeys. And I ended up resecting all of their feet about halfway up the hoof. And he did treat some, but over time we, we got them to grow out. But every fall and every spring we'd backslide. And I kept saying, you need to change the diet. You need to get them off of the grass and test the hay. And it took me about two years to finally convince him to uh, change the diet. And he blocked off part of the pasture and tilled up a section for them. And they were on no grass. And these little guys, they were they were pretty good. But their front feet, they would always like try and run away and do a little bit of a rear. And the first trim after he tilled up that field and they were off grass for three and a half, four weeks, they were, both stood perfectly. Wow. He was finally a believer that, you know, the diet does play a big role too. And, you know, six months later, they had no white line disease, no laminitis. Little little guys are running around happy as a clam now. Nice. Yeah, that's amazing. So, so that's kind of fun. I mean, we, we can do so much, but we're not magicians. And unless the owners are on board with making other changes too, you know, we're kind of stuck at a certain spot. Right. And like you said, where once the owners see how much diet, especially with laminitis cases, how much diet affects their feet and their comfort, until they see that, it's hard to really convey how important it is. I mean, we can like shout it from the rooftops, but it's... It's easy for them to be like, well, it's just like a little handful of grain or like, oh, but it's just like a tiny bit of grass in the paddock. And right, right. it's, I mean, so, and this wasn't even the case I was going to talk about, but I have one foundered mini that I showed up to. I've, I've just uh, two months ago is the first time I met her and I got there and I told the owner before I went out, cause she contacted me and said she had this foundered mini in a lot of pain. And you know, she was wondering if I could help. And the first thing I said before I went out there was you have to know that I'm going to recommend diet and blood work and, you know, to get a proper diagnosis. And you have to know that I'm doing this because, or I'm, I'm suggesting these things because I think it's really important and I don't want to come out there and be unsuccessful because we're just missing something with the diet or management. And so right. she's all good with that. And yeah. so I, I literally went through like a fine tooth comb in her grain room. And I was like, you need to stop because she was feeding literally a quarter cup of balancer to this mini morning and night. And it was a balancer. And I was like, I know that this balancer seems fine. I mean, it was one that actually didn't even have super high sugar and starch. Like it would look okay on the label. But I was like, when a horse is in an active limitic attack, sometimes these things can be a trigger, even though they would otherwise be safe. So I'm just asking you to remove it. I know it sounds wacky because it seems like it should be okay, but please just remove it. And she had like little bits of weeds, not even grass. She was in a quote unquote dry lot, but she had tiny bits of weeds around the edge of her fencing. And I was like, can you just muzzle her when she goes out? I know that sounds crazy because she doesn't really have anything in there, but just muzzle her. And I went back two weeks later because, you know, founder minis can grow like wild. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I went back two weeks later, two weeks later, she was sound. And and the, the owner was like, I would have never believed that these things could have caused issue and i was like yeah i know it's it's crazy how much 
it's it's not the trim. I mean, it's off. I mean, it, obviously the trim plays right, a, a right. role, but it's not like there's a magic trim that will immediately get rid of this lamina that's inflamed and breaking down. It's it's something that's coming from the inside. Like the you know the management has to be there, and it's just that yeah. it's definitely a rewarding thing to see when you know those little changes the owner can do results in this like amazing change for the horse. Yeah, and honestly, that wasn't even the case I was going to talk about. I was going to talk about a navicular case. <laughs> right, yeah. And I mean, I had one of my favorite laminitis cases. But, I mean, everybody had given up on the horse except for the owner. And he had been foundered and mostly down for a couple of months and abscessing. And the vet and the barn owner and everybody was like, you need to euthanize, you need to euthanize. And she and I had talked several times and she'd, she'd implemented all the diet changes, but I wasn't close enough to do the, the trimming for her. And she called me up one day. She said, well, I decided to euthanize and we dug a hole and the vet came and he yanked the lead rope away and took off up the hill. Will you take him at your place and rehab him? (laughs) (laughs) And I did. And that was five years ago. And uh, he just passed away from unrelated causes last month. So I know there are definitely times when I'm like, I wish I could just take this horse, (laughs) like, you know, do everything that needs to be done. Because sometimes it is it can be it can feel like a lot for owners sometimes, you know. Right. And that's why I love having him here because, you know, I can keep him for six months and completely control the diet. The, you know, they get the blood work done. I can know if we need to medicate. I'm well-versed at medicating these horses and, you know, I can get the trim right. I can trim weekly when they're here, you know, and keep little bits of trimming done. And then I can, you know, send them home with a plan. And that gives the owner's chances too to get their place set up and ready to manage a metabolic horse. Right. Yeah. And for those listening who aren't sure about laminated cases or what that kind of management means, you know, ECIR is a really fantastic resource. And a lot of it is just keeping the starch in the diet less than 4%, keeping sugar and starch in the diet less than 10% combined. And then just, I mean, if they're in active laminitis, like absolutely no grass, no grain, and just, you know, soaking hay if you don't have a hay analysis done. I mean, that can that can mean the difference between life and death for some of these cases. It can, it can. And hay analysis is so important. I mean, the nitrates and high protein in the hay as I'm finding out here are crazy sometimes and they're just not safe either. Wow. So that must be, so in my area, a lot of the protein is low. Like it's, it's common to see a hay test come back at like six or 7%, but you're, you see high protein in your area. Yeah, especially in eastern Washington because it's irrigated. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, I had a batch of TEF tested that was 17% protein, and the uh, nitrates were sky high. You couldn't even feed this hay as 100% of a horse diet safely. Oh, my goodness. Do you see that in Texas, Christina? Uh, Not so much with that. We've got a lot of coastal, so that's fairly easy for people to soak in everything. So it's more the starch that they have to watch for than the protein with that. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. We have to worry about the sugar. And honestly, the last few years, it's very rare that I even see a hay test that's higher in high, higher than 4% starch. I don't think I've seen one in a while, but we see iron that is off the charts. I mean, we, I've seen hay tests with iron. that's at like 500 PPM. I have. Yeah. Two. We're pretty high too. Yep. 
I know it's funny because some of my clients will be like, well, this hay came, you know, because we're in, Ma- I'm in Massachusetts and we have some local hay, but we don't have tons of fields, you know, like places in New York. So a lot of people are like, well, I get my hay from New York. So maybe that's better. And I'm like, honestly, it's everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. has <laughs> Usually high yeah. iron, you know. And you just don't know until you test. I mean, the last four hay tests I've done have been super low iron. I've been super excited about balancing them. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, almost it's almost enough copper and zinc in a regular California trace. Oh. I know. That's, that's hardly ever heard of. It's, I it know. Was great. <laughs> that's awesome. I know. I, I always tell people to just skip right to the California trace plus because usually it's the iron's just too high, but that's great. Yeah. And honestly, you know, I feel like I, I have to talk about a navicular case because they're my favorite. But the funny thing is this navicular case had kind of a, well, I don't want to spoil it before I even tell the story, but it had, it had a little bit of a um, unexpected resolution. So I came to this mare that was recommended to me by a vet who knows that I have my own navicular case that was sort of my passion to work with. And she was shod and very uncomfortable. She couldn't turn tightly. She was just shuffling around, stabbing her toes into the ground. They had tried every single corrective shoeing package on this mare, like wedges. And they found that she hated anything except very thin web, peripherally loading, like just metal shoes. Like she didn't like any kind of pads or frog support or anything like that she would instantly walk like she was walking on eggshells and so i went out there and she you know her x-ray she was npa in the front uh, negative palmar angle her hinds actually weren't as bad as her fronts and she had enough room in the toe that i could kind of adjust some things with the trim so i pulled her shoes and usually when i pull shoes i don't like to make a ton of crazy adjustments because they're already adjusting to not having shoes on, but she just had, you know, sometimes you go to those cases where you're like, oh my goodness, I just need to take some of this toe because it's just wild. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, you know, I adjusted her ankles a bit and put her in cloud boots and, you know, within the first cycle, really just in the cloud boots, she was so much more comfortable. And that was, I pulled her shoes in, you know, October, 2020. So winter comes around. She is great all winter long. The owner actually starts riding again. There's an indoor that she's riding in. The mare is doing awesome. Everyone's like, holy moly, like what the heck happened with this mare? She's doing so great. She's more comfortable barefoot than she'd ever been in, in any kind of shoeing package. And then spring rolls around. I actually was sick with COVID and didn't work for a few months. And so I missed out on a few cycles of this mare's trimming. And when I came back, she was so lame and it wasn't her trim, her trip, like her, she was getting a good trim. And the only change was that there was some grass, she was being turned out on grass and all winter she, there was snow and ice and everything was frozen. She didn't, she wasn't eating any grass outside and come spring, she was dead lame again, as bad as she had been in the fall. And I was like, Oh my goodness. Like I I'm convinced it's the grass, but The owner was like, no, I had an MRI done. She has DDFT tears. She has a navicular cyst. It's definitely navicular. It's not the grass. And I was like, I know, but please just humor me. Like, I promise you that there's too much of a coincidence here that she does great all winter with you riding regularly and her her DDFT is not bothered. And then suddenly 
you know, in the spring she's lame. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me when the ground is, like, softer and there's, you know. So we end up, or she ends up um, going south for a bit. Uh, Her and her owner were traveling around. And she's not doing great. She comes back and again she i'm like i I swear to you like these feet look like they're laminitic to me there wasn't a lamellar wedge there wasn't any like evidence of rotation but there was chronic event lines she looked like she had super thin sole she had no collateral groove depth she just looked like she had these feet that were just so weak and i was like listen just muzzle her try to muzzle her let's see what happens let's like put a muzzle on she's not needing weight like she's plenty she has plenty of weight on her her owner puts a muzzle on and which you wouldn't think is enough for horses that are really sore. Within a few weeks, she is 10 times more comfortable. She's back to turning fine. She's not, you know, shifting her weight on on each foot. She's significantly more comfortable. And that was just a few months ago. Now she's the soundest I've ever seen her since the owner has stopped her access to grass. And I was, I, I'm just, it's crazy how, Yes, she has this diagnosis where she absolutely has DDFT injuries and they're pretty significant and chronic. They look like there's chronic injury there. And she has confirmed damage on an MRI, like severe cysts on her navicular bone. But she is like her trigger for inflammation or whatever seems to be sugars in grass. And that Maybe that's just like what knocks the inflammation over the edge and sort of gets everything stirred up again. But when she's not on grain and grass, she's you wouldn't know that she had all that crazy pathology. And so that's why I like, quote unquote, navicular cases, because sometimes a simple change can take this case that people would just write off and retire or do like a neurectomy or have them in corrective shooting for the rest of their lives. Sometimes a simple change can take that case and turn it into a, a maintenance, like easy trim. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Good breed. Uh, she's a quarter horse, little quarter horse. I have a, almost the exact same case going on. Really? And yeah. she, does she respond to grass the same way? Yes. Yeah. And, and cause I started with the horse summer of 2021 and got progressively better over the winter and all of a sudden come february late february when our grasses really start to shoot up here he was dead lame and blood work came back normal for insulin resistance and cushings but i said pull him off the grass anyway and same thing within a month he was he was sound again yeah and so they, they've kept him dry lotted now and a matter of fact I had him in because he started as a navicular case and he had negative angles. We put him in composite shoes and uh, I just pulled his shoes off totally last month and he's going barefoot now. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah. And that again, like obviously you did a ama- like a, you know, you had him in a composite setup and you did work that to his feet that was likely super helpful. But that shows like, again, management is playing a huge role. Like it's what is the horse eating? You know, what is the horse getting when we're not there? You know? Yeah. I've had one tell me that her horse was sore, that she trimmed herself. So I was going to come look at him. So she had left him up all day and then she walks him out of his stall and he's not sore at all. I'm like, okay, what was different? It's like, he was up. He wasn't on the grass. It's like, uh uh-huh. So (laughs) leave him up. (laughs) (laughs) 
So well, it's, muzzling. Yeah. It's so hard for owners because I mean, they see these big, you know, movies of horses on these big Kentucky green grasses with white picket fences. And they think, well, my horse has to have grass, but I mean, Western Washington grasses are ridiculously high in sugar. Yeah. It was funny because this owner is super into diet and she posts all the time about diet stuff and she didn't catch that. And I was like, Hey, big picture here. (laughs) And it's, it is hard. Like, like Jody, what you're saying is it's so true. Even non-horse owners, like non-horse people at all, when I talk to them about, because they ask about, you know, what do you do? I left teaching to do this. And so they're, they ask a million questions about it. And one big thing is when I mentioned how important diet is and how a lot of horses can't have grass, but they're like, but horses are made to be on grass. And I'm like, well, not really. <laughs> you know, maybe like the shrub grass that's out in the like wild, like the wilderness, but like not, not the cow pasture we have in so many places. Right. Well, yeah, I, and I love the people like- that, that you go out and they say, well, there's no grass out there, but yet, you know, outside the fence, it's six inches tall and lush and green. And it's like, well, you have to mow this stuff, right? Well, yeah. Well, who do you think's mowing in the field? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That becomes my go-to phrase is when they're like, well, there's no grass out there. I always respond with, if the horse wasn't in there, would there be grass? Like, okay, then who's eating? Like, what's happening to it? They're eating it. Like, that's why there's, quote unquote, no grass there. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, I feel like we could talk forever about a million cases, which is one of my favorite things to do is to get together with hoof care providers and talk about cases. But um, I would love to also talk a little bit about, you know, what you find to be the most difficult cases to work on. So I don't know if either of you want to start with that one. I know it's a kind of a tough question. The most difficult in terms of horse or owner compliance? Oh, gosh. I mean, either. Yeah, if you have one of each. (laughs) Yeah, so in terms of owner compliance, I had one that had thrush, you know, every single time I came there. It's like, okay, I've left you minerals. I bought them for you. Please give them to him. And, you know, here's some toe jam to put on his feet. And they wouldn't do it. She's like, oh, that's just how his feet look. That's how they've always looked. I'm like, just do it. Do what I've told you. And so she ended up having him go to her nephew's. So I don't know what the seat looked like now, but that was every single time. So he'd get treated every six weeks and that was it. Oh gosh. So, yeah. Yeah. I've actually, not to jump in there, but I've actually had a case where I gave the owner at my cost some thrush treatment. And I was just like, you can have this for free if you will treat their feet every, you know, at least a few times a week. And the next time I came back out, I she had not even picked up their feet. I could tell. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I just wasted. I wasted giving that. I could have given that to somebody else who'd actually use it. You know? <laughs> I've done the same thing. And, it, yeah, those are, those are the tough cases, I think, too, is when the owners just, they, they nod their head and agree and then do nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And they tell you, oh, we haven't opened that yet six weeks later. Right. It's like, okay, you're supposed to open it and use it. It's easy. Right. And it's like, you know, we're there every, you know, four to six weeks, whatever the cycle length is. And we can only do so much. (laughs) We're not magic. We're not making trips up there twice a week to take care of it for you. Right. Unless you want to come bring the horse here and do a rehab board, then I can do it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I will say another, this has nothing to do with owner compliance necessarily, but probably one of the hardest cases I've worked on is a SIRS laminitis case. 
the systemic inflammatory yeah. response syndrome. I mean, it's just so different than a regular laminitis case where it's like the feet are just melting, you know? Um, yes. And I had one founder, another founder mini. I, they seemed to come to me for some reason. And the owner was doing everything right on the metabolic side. And we couldn't figure out why he was in still, still in so much pain. And we discovered that he had a chronic liver infection. And oh. that was triggering a, a more of a well he was triggering colitis actually and then he was getting this SERS laminitis and it was just you know until that liver infection was treated he what he his found his chronic founder wouldn't stop and it was so difficult because we didn't know to keep looking for you know, we didn't know what to look for. It's th- there. There's so many things that can cause that, like a fever, an illness, a, a toxic weed, a retained placenta. Like there's so many things, and it can get bad really fast. That it's it's scary as the healthcare provider to feel like I don't. I'm only able to do so much in this case. Now the vet needs to figure out what to test for, and it, you're like racing the clock. You know, I find those cases yeah. to be to be stressful to me. <laughs> I had one of those last year I worked on briefly. She kept trimmer hopping because she wanted, you know, a magic thing and vet hopping. And they ended up thinking it was liver related with her and they ended up putting her down. I don't know what the actual diagnosis ended up being. I just saw that they had finally euthanized her, but she'd been at a bunch of different vet clinics here spending, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars trying to figure out what was wrong with her. Gosh, it's so hard. Oh. And it's like heart wrenching, yeah. you know. Yeah, because you yeah, want to help, but you can't. You know, toughest one I had was a black walnut poisoning, oh. and Ooh. and we lost that one too. Yeah. yeah, and that's why you know I I love when people are are so adamant about diet for laminitis and management, but then when some people, like some owners who have never seen a SERS case, when they go so far as to like you know, make others feel bad about like, well, you know, laminitis is a hundred percent preventable and treatable. And, and if the horse, it, it's all up to the owner. Like sometimes there are those cases where it's, yeah, you know, you can be doing everything. And like, like Christina, you were saying like pouring money into these cases. And sometimes money. It's just like the kindest thing to do is let them go. If you just, if the toxins that are causing the issue can't get under control. Yeah. Well, I know that I think Christina, you were saying that you had to get going in a few minutes. So if you want, we can kind of round this out with, I know it's, it's kind of been a conversation about difficult cases and favorite cases, but maybe if we can end with some advice for owners or, or hoof care providers that are dealing with a tough case. I don't know if you guys have any words of wisdom. Yeah. Um, for owners, just do what your trimmer says. If they tell you to fix the diet, fix the diet. If they give you stretching homework, do your stretching homework. If they tell you to get out of chiropractor, get out of chiropractor. And for trimmers, don't take on the ones that are awful to deal with, like that are trying to hurt you, but stick with it if it's a case where the owner's being compliant and it's an issue that you can work on and fix. And then, you know, go to other people for advice if you need to on difficult cases. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, feel reach out. There's so many good resources, you know, for metabolic disorders. There's the Equine Cushing's and Insulin Resistant 
Tops group. And and there's so many different trimmer groups that you can yeah. consult with on tough cases. I mean, I just went into a whole barn of foundered Tennessee walkers and they'd had a trimmer in, but I, I don't think the trimmer knew what to do with a, a really bad case and barely touched the feet when they needed yeah. like inches taken off. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I mean, even without radiographs, you could see there were inches. And then I had radiographs too, so I could I could really work with them. But you know, reach out if you if you don't know or if you're newer. There's lots of people willing to help and consult. Yeah, yeah, and and honestly, you know, it's hard because there's a, there can be a lot of ego in the healthcare world of like, oh, well, I can't show that I don't know what to do, but. Every single farrier, every single healthcare provider has cases that they're not sure about. I mean, there's, there's, nobody knows everything. And so if you're going to say, I need help, it's only going to benefit the horse, you know? So yeah, just being willing to, to have somebody else in and, and, and willing to look for more answers for the horse if something's not working out. Yeah, sometimes sometimes you just can't see what's wrong, and another set of eyes is the best thing you can get. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I really appreciate you both being willing to hop on this call. I know it was kind of last minute, and I was taking up a, a good portion of your day, so this is really great. Yeah, well, thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. And I hope you have a great rest of your night. Thank you. Thank you, too. We'll, we'll see you both in a week. I know. That's so cool. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> All right. See you later. Bye. Bye. I always say that I'm slightly more hoof obsessed than the average person. And chances are, if you're listening to a hoof care podcast, you are too. So we should probably be friends. Feel free to find me on Facebook or email me at thehumblehoof at gmail.com.